2: What do we mean when we say the word technology? Is it only those mechanical things we're used to? Is it only the internet? What is technology? And what if our definition of technology is inadequate? That is, it doesn't take into account all the various items that could be considered technology or technological we're going to talk about what technology is and look at technology from a different or neglected perspective on the show today. To help us with our conversation, we have Clapperton Chakanetsa who is an associate professor of science, technology, and society at MIT. This is New Books and Technology. I'm your host, Jasmine McNeely. All right, so the book is called Transient Workspaces, Technologies of Everyday Innovation in Zimbabwe. Now, before we even start up talking about the book, one of the first things we like to do is get some background on the author. So who is Clapperton Chakanetsa Mavunga? Uh,
0: He's a simple simple boy who grew up uh, in rural Africa, uh, traveling uh, 10 miles a day to school. And um, so uh, I grew up herding cattle. I grew up doing all kinds of things that an African boy would do. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I'm coming from. And um, I grew up in a family of 10.
1: Okay.
0: um, Six boys and four girls. And I was the fifth of the youngest boys. And I was the uh, second from last. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so this is this is me
2: okay and so now you are an associate professor
0: that's correct
2: at MIT
0: that's correct
2: so what was the route to MIT a
0: very I would say I was schooled in this uh, very inspirational space called poverty Mm. Um, some may think of it as a kind of pathology, but i I don't think that without it, I would have been where I am. Mm-hmm. I pretty much grew up in very difficult circumstances where the only hope you had was to um you know to become somebody you had to go to school and you had to continue to scrape until you you got where you wanted. I had parents who had a lot of faith in my abilities very early on. And so that made it very easy. Um, I would burn the midnight oil quite literally because it was paraffin, a small paraffin lamp, self-made. And until it was around 2 o'clock, and I remember my dad would come and knock, Clapperton, are you still awake? And then I would say, yeah, I'm still reading. So I was quite an avid reader from very early on. So this is what then took me to University of Zimbabwe, finished my honours degree in history uh, in in 1995. And then I took a break in... Then I went back to school again three years later, three, four years later, uh, this time to do my master's in history at Fitz University in South Africa. And But I was dissatisfied at that point that, you know, how is it that uh, the history of Africa is only accounted for in social terms, but then there is, where is technology in this? Where is science in this? Where is innovation? Where is entrepreneurship? Is it that we didn't have this? How come the same things that, um, you know, other nations like the Romans were doing, how come the... Those kinds of things that they account for as technology are also not accounted for even if they are present in our own story. You see? So I began to reflect on these stories. Where is this? I didn't find it in in the South African uh, education system as it it fits at that time. Mm -hmm. So hence the decision to go to Michigan. Ah And then it's from Michigan that I I was lucky to come to MIT and be part of this institution.
2: Okay, and you teach uh, science, technology, and society, right? Correct. Which is all part of this book, transient workspaces. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now you talked. You just talked for a moment about how you got your uh, history degree at the University of Zimbabwe, right? And you use a lot of history in this book.
0: I. Um, I'm a historian. Yes. I. So in my entire, put it this way, I, in my entire university career, I've not studied anything else <sighs> but history. Okay. And a little bit, it's only at Michigan that I began to study um, STS and um, environment and um, anthropology, but then the core of it is history. Yeah. So I tend to be the historian uh, quite died in the war. and <laughs> apologies for this.
2: <laughs>
0: Absolutely.
2: <laughs> so let's talk about the book: transient workspaces, technology of everyday innovation in Zimbabwe. And you know, one of the questions you posed to yourself up uh, earlier when you were studying at a university in South Africa. Africa. Was it, yeah. was about. Why is the history of technology in the continent of Africa not really being told or recognized right. as technology or technological innovation? And so I wanted to ask you about the narrow definition that is modernly uh, connected to the word technology.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. the problems associated with such a narrow definition, and and you can notice that, you know, it's it's not the concept of technology itself is not a very old concept. Even so, now my the present state of my research is that I'm revisiting a scholarship that we do not think was STS but was being uh, was talking about technology. In the uh, late 1800s, for example,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm thinking of the work of Ortiz Mason, who was writing of a concept called techno geographies, mm-hmm. and he was saying through: there is no society in the world that does not have technology. Everybody, every society has it, but it's a question of the distribution. Our distribution as humankind on Earth and the geographical regions that we inhabit that is why you can ex- how you explain uh, the kaleidoscopic nature of what kind of of, of things uh, constitute technology in what kind of a place mm-hmm. so i've been reading further and i'm finding that um, perhaps that the problem for me at least is that people assume what technology already is which is which is my problem with uh uh, Western SCS because we already, it's as if uh, the meaning has already been decided
1: mm-hmm.
0: what science is, what technology is it's already been decided, uh, all we are there to do is to come and you know, the table is laid, Come, just come and eat and eat quietly, exercise table manners uh, I want to shake the ground a little bit and say technology It means a lot of things to different people. We could, in fact, you know, just break it down to the bare basics and talk about means and ways to ends. Uh, That, but the which raises the question if we say that this whole notion of who is who designs, who is an engineer, who is a user. Uh, really begins to be more interesting and and words like that we become more careful to use.
2: Mm -hmm. So I was just going to ask you, then, what
0: would your definition of technology be? Simple. It's a means and ways that people use to do things towards specific ends, which does not rule out any... So I'll give you an example. The example that I use in the book is one about what we often call a ritual when we are speaking of non-Western societies. Mm-hmm. As if it can be called these principles and uh, kind of laid out methods that you have to follow, the do's and don'ts, that you would find in a laboratory. Right. So I've been thinking recently, if we carry that discussion uh, to its logical conclusion, Is there a way in which scholarship from the South or scholarship that has not been represented in the past can actually open up new ways of thinking about what a laboratory is, what science is, and not perhaps no longer just singular but plural, uh, what technology constitutes, not as defined by the laboratory, which we now, which we have been socialized to know, but also a dual exercise of defining both what the laboratory is and what what technology might be. sure So it is a question for me it's a question the question of definitions is perhaps the most important question of the 21st century okay. because the, 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 the people who are now participating in this debate, are no longer as narrow as the people that were participating when the definition of technology and science was first used or proposed. Right, right. Yeah. We can't just come here and accept things as they are. We bring our own perspective. And no perspective ought to be wrong simply because of prior occurrence. Well, you know, the, 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 the issue that you're getting into, it seems to be about
2: power dynamics, right? Yes. Uh, and you talk about critique of uh, you know uh, the different power dynamics and things like imperialism and colonialism in your book with respect to how we even now define the word technology and um, modernity
0: for absolutely and you see it's you the, the, these words came to Africa uh, via a very a hazardous a carriage called colonialism, called imperialism. In fact, the way they were used, technology was used a bit later on from 30s onwards, but progress, civilization, and its opposite, the savage, and, and other concepts that denote even development. Development was used in very evolutionary terms, which justified the designation of some people as civilized and others as eh, 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 savage. And these were then racialized. Mm -hmm. And so it is impossible for us to evade by some God trick these specific situated dynamics within which these terminology arrived. We cannot. Otherwise, we'll be doing a great injustice to history. And unfortunately, what I what I often see is people readily take uh, concepts that are already settled in the Western Academy and just carry them forward. And they say, oh, here is another example. They mobilize Africa and other parts of the global South. And non-represented cultures, cultures that were not represented before, is just a fodder for a confirming or a disproving what they already uh, have already packaged uh, in 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 Western uh, scholarship. I think we have to be more serious than that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Otherwise, we risk not contributing anything. Uh, scholars who are very comfortable with the Western paradigm and have been enunciating and say thank you very much. You're just confirming what we knew, exactly, precisely because our contribution is already marked as a Western contribution. It is not a global southern contribution. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Okay. So let's let's perhaps get into some other definitions, some other terms that you use a lot in the book. Uh, one of those is mobility. The mm-hmm. other one is from the title at least, but also throughout the book, and that is transient workspaces. So how would you define those for
0: the audience? Transient workspace is a space... What I was trying to do there was to say that people, when they move, things when they move, they are not just... This is not just... For me, the importance is not just conveying from one place to the other.
1: Mm
0: A a Place-shifting but more to do with the work that uh, a technology, that uh, a mobility or a movement does, what it is doing, and the kinds of traces and processes of encounter that, you know, it, it configures or are configured upon it. Uh, so we have to also be attentive to not only the work that mobility itself does, but the work that is permissible, because of movement. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to get. In a world where we now have uh, somebody who is 13,000 uh, feet above ground level busy typing on a computer, where, in a world where we have drones being delegated, uh, killing power, in a world where people you find Starbucks today are not just idling, or wasting time, or just relaxing, but are also at work, even when they are mobile, and doing getting coffee, doing anything. These 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 gadgetries are only reminding us of a, a a mobility as work. But is this new? This was the question why I was. That's why I was interested in the hunters because. I wanted to say, it's very easy for me to have made that argument using cell phones, mm-hmm. but I was—it came out of this a very deep introspection on what being on the hunt means, tracking, and through tracking, it's a space of education of kids, not only in the killing or the tracking of an animal which in itself is a very sophisticated process, tracking. Mm -hmm. But also in schooling generations of kids in how to think about and to respect the forest as a kind of multifaceted uh, resource as well as a sacred space. Mm -hmm. It was a space where you could actually uh, think of the pharmacy uh, from a pre-colonial perspective, a non-big farmer perspective. <laughs> so that's what I was I was trying to do with transient workspace. To so say it might well be the defining mode of work in our time, where you where we are seeing the reduction of a, a idle time or a dead time, as some other scholars have called it, and the multitasking of movement, so that it also becomes a a, a a space where you do and time where you do work which you might otherwise have done uh, if you have uh, only after you have arrived home or in a workshop
1: mm-hmm.
0: so which is why earlier on when I started in my dissertation I was calling this a mobile workshop but i got i i got disillusioned with the word workshop i need it didn't quite recently Mamadou Dufres suggested that. A French word could be atelier, so it could be instead of a mobile workshop, it could be atelier mobile.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And and but still, I wanted something that is translated in my own language, and that's why I, I settled on transient expressions.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, now, part of the book, you do get into the Vashona and Masangana.
0: Machana, yes. yes Masangana. Yeah, they originally called the sangwe mm-hmm. but then because of the convenience of being identified as shangana and the advantages that came with it, they just call themselves machangana.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you, you, you get into the philosophy of life, and you also talk about spiritually guided mobility yes. with respect to both um, groups. I was wondering if you could talk about that more with respect to, you know, technology and how perceptions of technology have uh, changed or impacted things in Zimbabwe and that,
0: that area. In fact, where I wanted to start was where if you look at the kind of literature we have in STS, most of it is evacuated of the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And uh, it could be that. So there are two things they are evacuated of. One is the spiritual. The second one is the communal. What is emphasized? More the uh, the human and the machine. Also emphasized is the individual. Uh And my argument is that even human is dehumanizing. Since when did we talk only about human as opposed to people? That's where I am now regardless of what I wrote in the book. That's what I wanted to say. That's what I wanted to draw attention to, that perhaps we should return to uh, people as opposed to uh, a human, because human just dehumanizes. It turns us, it removes the human being and renders us species. So that's what I wanted, and what I was trying to do with Spiritually guided mobility was to say that from where I come from, uh, the idea that you know you travel alone as a human in society, as a species, it's simply not how people see. Now, they are, and I'm not rejecting the idea that you know people can't see themselves that way, they should, but they should not disapprove of. Other ways of seeing. We should be democratic about this. And the way I chose it was that every facet of life and the life after this one is guided by the ancestral spirits, according to this culture I was examining. Mm -hmm. It's guided by Emi Kwembu, it's guided by Wazimu. And the idea was that once you have anything that is guided by the spirits, you cannot therefore claim individual uh, you can't say beat yourself on the chest if you have have asked for the uh, providence of the spirits if you were going into the forest, then you are coming back and you beat yourself on the chest that it was your own uh, doing. It wasn't. That does not mean that you know being guided by the spirit does not absolve you from a skill. Mm-hmm. Skill was a spirit. you can't it was indivisible from a spirit. Skill was a spirit, the spirit of expertise. Mm-hmm. So there is no distinction whatsoever between the spiritual. in fact the spiritual functions is you know, a guidance, is an anchor, the guide. To innovation mm-hmm. rather than the anthropological perspective where the perception was that well they are too sus- superstitious therefore that's why they can't innovate uh, it's actually that which they call superstition that when removed by Christian missionaries completely also swept the rug from under the carpet of African modes of innovation
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's the worst kind of uh, knowledge genocide that could have happened. This conversion.
2: Yeah, so, so let's talk about one of the other questions I had was about the integration or the bringing of outside technology or mm-hmm. ideas into um, these societies that are already established and already have ways of believe, believing, knowing, and Working or doing things, and the impact that has on uh, that society, and how society impacts that outside technology as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the, what I was trying to do was to say that uh, uh, the we should we should take note of the. I guess what you are referring to is this question of appropriation and appropriate technology. How. And I had my mind on the cell phone mm-hmm. today, but I did not want to tackle the cell phone. I was interested in something more historical, which was to ask about the genealogy of appropriation in the African context. And the way I wanted to do it was to not valorize the idea of appropriating outside things alone, as if Africa's future only lies uh, in our past has been about appropriation only of things from outside I was trying to say that what the question I was trying to say is what precedes appropriation what comes before appropriation when people appropriate what is that a sign of Of course to me it's a sign it's a symptom but a symptom of what and my and I think it's an it's a symptom of a of an inner beautiful beast that is very very innovative, spiritually deeply spiritually communally anchored, mm-hmm. and that has a tendency of being very flexible to outside things, not only receiving them but seeking them out, because Africans that I the Africans that I know there. Are not just merely waiting until the Europeans come with their gun. They are actually going to the mines to work and get guns. They are going to sell ivory to incoming people and saying, we need that one and that one and that kind of gun and that kind of cloth and so on.
2: Yeah, so they're not just passive.
0: No, no, they are not. Is where I, I return to the question of. If you are thinking of writing an African history of technology, mm-hmm. you can't just say technology in Africa. It's the trick that uh, you find a lot of people wanting to to, to take that. You know, African technology is. Uh, they can't talk about that. They can't talk about African technology. They want to talk about technology in Africa. I'm not very. I like technology in Africa insofar as it's actually talking not just about what insiders are bringing and if you look at the literature or, on STS a lot of it is talking about wow uh, these things that are coming from outside and that's just following them around and how people might place meanings to them around but basically They are the same old, same old. Mm -hmm. There's nothing new there. I don't find those stories very exciting or sophisticated. I'm interested in a story that traces two kinds of trajectories. Well, the trajectory of the uh, things that are incoming, on the one hand, the trajectories of things African and where these Africans that are interfacing with these things are coming from. And it's at that intersection that I want them to trace To explain that encounter Mm
2: -hmm. Mm. So so this brings us back I think full circle to the Question of narrative Mm. And who First of all what the story is In relationship with Africa And technology But then who gets to tell the story Of Africa and Africans And technology And you touch on that a lot
0: In your book Mm. I do And one of the things that has happened, and I come from Zimbabwe, Mm -hmm. where most of the stories about Zimbabwe are written by outsiders. One very good example, just look at all the biographies of Robert Gabriel Mugabe, the president. Until some have come up recently, not one has been written by anybody who is black or African. Doesn't that surprise us? And you look at Zimbabwean history proper, except from Wabi Bebe, Hoini uh, Bila, and a few others, the majority of books now coming out on Zimbabwe are written by non Zimbabweans. And as Chimamana Ngozi Adiche warns, there is a danger in a single story. We need to have Africans not only rel- not relying on uh, these accounts, the audience the topics that people are writing about our experience are not the ones that we choose. They elect what to write. Mm -hmm. They don't substitute. They have legitimate questions just like we do. But they may not be legitimate to us. And we are not hide-bound to follow their paradigms. So, for example, when they import these categories to try and explain Africa one question we should be attentive to is to what kind of knowledge store are they contributing? To an African history, an African's uh, 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 perspective, or to a history of Africa, which can be diverse, and anyone is welcome to write. This is why I think we need to be careful about what constitutes an Africanist perspective, which I don't write from, Mm -hmm. and an African perspective, which is where I write from, but I also write from a third a second space, which is Africa, you, you know, a kind of kind of an Africa focused history, which is that anyone can come to that if the central voices that are emanating from this account are African, not to load them with all these theoretical poke Heidegger of Latour of uh, all these guys, they, a lot of them spent very little time or no time at all in Africa. <laughs> and then you mobilize the history of an entire society to that. I was trying to do something else in this. If you look at the first the introduction, it's a critique and an update on the state of the world. You could think of it as a vent, kind of frustration. The book proper for me if you think of it as a work of theory starts in chapter one on guided mobility Mm -hmm. that's for me where i start where i am actually making the move that the theorists i'm not the theorist i'm not the philosopher the philosophers are my ancestors they are the ones that developed all this vocabulary to order the knowledge that i write
1: Mm
0: -hmm. i'm merely a student but also a steward to the and an heir to knowledge that I, 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 I only can claim expertise on the basis of having lived it. And so I am trying to say it is not just enough for us to just take this kind of uh, uh, knowledge and call it our archive, our empirical folder, and not, we don't call it theory, we don't call it philosophy, it's, it's just an archive. Uh-huh. I think there is something very dangerous with that, because then we appoint ourselves the experts. But what credentials do we have to claim expertise uh, to societies to which we are outsiders? Uh-huh. I mean, two years, three years, four years, five years, does not make one... Uh, the uh, the 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 expert any more than a lived lifetime uh, makes somebody an expert. I think it's the latter that is often suppressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to take these voices seriously as theoretical standing points.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the book is Transient Workspaces: Technology of Everyday Innovation in Zimbabwe, and it's out now.
0: Oh, it is out. Yes,
2: on MIT Press, right? And they can pick it up anywhere, Amazon, MIT Press, obviously. So one of the other things that we always like to ask on new books and technology is, what's
0: next? What's next for um, Mr. or Professor Mungunga? What's next? So I am finishing a book now on um, what I call how an African knowledge became science. And I'm basically saying that many policies that we need to move away from the idea that when when Europeans came they just obliterated our knowledge and imposed western templates my argument is actually that they built the knowledge they used to uh, oppress uh, africans and other colonized people anywhere else
1: mm-hmm.
0: a lot of that knowledge was built on pre-existing a knowledge of indigenous people they found so uh, the example that i take is that of uh, the knowledge of trees the knowledge of animals and the knowledge of uh, pest control and i show how, I, and so what i do is i am using the accounts of the colonists confessing about how they did this mm-hmm. For a long time we have been told, oh, the colonial archive is biased, is full of these things. I'm saying, no, 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 don't let them off too cheaply. I want to hear them confess and present them as confessing how exactly they were taking this knowledge. One good example is where you have these medical schools uh, throughout, in the United States, in Britain, in Europe, they were sending one expedition after another to Africa to collect uh, what they called voucher specimens and to document uh, the names of all the uh, medicinal plants. This is just one example, medicinal plants that African uh, um, African, uh, healers and in some cases even uh, people designated as witches were using. Mm-hmm. And they were, these this were, this were medical anthropologists working for medical schools. And these were the same uh, specimens that were then used as starting points or that were tested by acid and used as basis for uh, pharmaceutical drugs. Now, where does science start then? It starts from the laboratory or it starts from these uh, people? Right. Right. The question for me is to the, the audience of it is not necessarily the scientists. The, you know, the, the audience for me are the people of Africa and other peoples in the world who have such a low opinion of their own ancestral knowledge. Because they, when they look at that knowledge, they say, oh, if I go to CVS or the pharmacy, I just buy a capsule. Oblivious to the fact that that kind of capsule actually came from the tree that underneath they are sitting. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping for a knowledge that eventually will begin to awaken uh, people of Africa, young innovators. And also here, for my students, for example, to recognize that Africa is not just this one vast dust bowl of misery, disease and war. That a lot of very good things that they may not be aware of have actually come out of Africa. Mm-hmm. And build on that. Build new smart partnerships on the basis of mutual respect. The idea being that there's if we teach them here at MIT there is this is just one uh you know domain of knowing there are multiple others out there and good things can only come from working across different knowledge domains
2: that sounds amazing and we certainly look forward to reading that book when it comes out as well and so we thank you for coming on the show today the book is transient workspaces that is The Technology of Everyday Innovation in Zimbabwe. And the author is Claberton Chakanetsa Mavunga. And we thank you for coming on New Books in Technology.
0: <laughs> Natin, thank you very much.